out tonight. Let's go ahead and get started. Page 125, you can remain seated. There's in my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Here not I am with thee, peace be still. In a love I say, Savior, standing, standing. 
standing on the promises of God. Good to see all of you tonight. If you're glad to be here, say amen. Amen. Good to see all of you tonight. Uh, as far as announcements go, I was just looking. On September the 10th, the ladies will be having a meeting in the fellowship hall at 10 o'clock that morning. So you ladies be in much prayer about that and planning on being there. And uh, as far as our prayer requests go tonight, we've got a lot that we need to pray for. Has anybody got a pen I can borrow? You got a pen, Deb? Thank you so much. <clears throat> we got a lot that we need to pray about. And first off on our prayer list tonight is Tim Mitchell. Uh, I talked to Brother Tim today, and he asked me to tell this church, especially for, for him, that he appreciates you praying for him. He had a real battle. He came down with the COVID. They put him on a medicine that was FDA approved, but had never been tested. And he he went through a very strong uh, battle with depression and anxiety. And to come to find out, it was that medicine that was doing it to him. And he was on it for five days, and they said that it would take about five days for all of that to get out of him, plus the COVID. So anyway, we need to continue praying for Brother Tim, Billy, and Peggy Phillips also, and Sabrina Turner. Continue praying for Carolyn Watkins. Mackenzie and Kennedy are both sick. Uh, Dr. Tim Annis. Uh, he's, Dr. Dr. Annis is a, a great chiropractor over in uh, Delonic, Dawsonville, and he had a stroke, and it has really set him back, and we need to really pray for Tim Annis, Sandra Deal, which is Nathan Deal's wife. I bumped into Nathan the other day and, and talked to him, and I promised him that our church would be praying for his wife. She's got cancer. And then Hannah Hurd. How about your request tonight? Anybody on your hearts? Nobody? Everybody's quiet tonight. Amen. Hey, there we go. <laughs> no. <laughs> Gabe Tidswell. Tisdale. Thank you, Mr. Y'all remember that time <clears throat> when old brother George Cartier was still alive? He was sitting on the front row. And uh, I said something about. He wore hearing aids, couldn't hear a thing. And I said, uh, somebody was calling out prayer request, and I couldn't hear them. I said, Brother George, let me borrow your hearing aids. He jumped up and brought me a pen. <laughs> Gabe Tidswell. That's what I said, Tidsdale. Anyone else tonight? Anyone else on your heart? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. 
anything else tonight. Anyone else? All right. Wednesday night prayer meeting. Let's all come and gather around these altars and pray over these requests. I'm going to put these study sheets out and you can come get one of those as you come to the altar tonight. So let's come pray tonight. So if you've got any missionary offering you want to give tonight, come give it at this time. being unruly tonight. <laughs> Is she starting trouble, Brother Barry? <laughs> Brother Navarre, would you step out and get me a little cup of water tonight? I can tell I'm going to need it. i got a lot of preaching to do to this crowd. Amen. Amen. It is good to see all of you tonight. Appreciate all of you being here taking time out of your midweek to come and gather yourselves around the Word of God and the study. We began last Wednesday night going into a book that I have been very standoffish about even going into um, for several reasons. I've, I've said at times that it scared me. The book didn't actually scare me, but 
I was intimidated by it because it is such a lengthy book, 28 chapters long. And I knew that if we ever got started, that it may be years in the making and finishing of this study because the book of Acts is such a loaded book. Almost every word in this book is just loaded with truth and things that we need to learn and know. And, uh, and there's one thing that I want you to always remember uh, about the book of Acts. Uh, I want you to, I want you, Sister Sue, we got our study sheets up here. You want to come get it? Be fine. Uh, there's one thing that I want you to really understand and keep in mind as we study through the book of Acts is that the book of Acts is a transitional book. And, I, and what I mean by that is you're coming from law to grace you're coming from the nation of Israel being the primary mode of God dealing with people to the church. It transitions us from, from the law, Jewish rites and rituals, to grace, the church, preaching, missionaries. All of this stuff is changing. Why? Because Jesus Christ went to the cross died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. He changed everything when He came into our world, and I thank God that He did. Amen. And He came, we know, for us. It was the only way we could be redeemed and be able to make it to heaven. And so Jesus Christ came, you think about it, when He came, time divided itself. We have... B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, and, uh, the, which means it's Latin for the year of the, our Lord. And uh, Jesus Christ changed time. He changed everything. He changed the way God deals with man. And we looked at some of that this past Sunday night in dispensational study. But the book of Acts is that transitional book that God uses and recorded for us that we might understand how, how did we get from 12 apostles to one man by the name of Paul? How did we get there? How did we get from the Sabbath, which is on a Jewish Saturday? How did we get from a Jewish Sabbath to coming to church on Sunday? How did we go from a temple and offering lambs in the temple at a, at a brazen altar and splitting their throats, catching their blood and burning their bodies on a, a brazen altar? How did we get from there till Jesus Christ to save whosoever? You see, the book of Acts declares and shows and reveals all of that for us. That's why so many people get goofed up with their doctrine. Most false doctrine, most false beliefs today come from either the book of Matthew or the book of Acts. They, they get all squirrely when they read those two books. Why? They're two transitional books. 
And so the book of Acts is such a wonderful, marvelous book to study and understand rightfully so that we will know what God is doing and how we got to be what we are today known as the church, the pillar and ground of the truth. So we want to begin tonight in our actual study of the book of Acts. Last Wednesday night, I introduced it for you. But tonight we want to actually get into the text, the meat of the book I of Acts. On the web. <laughs> I am so glad you did. My watch found something on the web for me. I don't know why it does that. I am so sorry. But anyway, I, th I, think, they're, I think they're watching us. I think they're listening to us. I ain't no conspiracy theorist. But I believe they're listening. Hush. Hush. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get into our study together tonight of the book of Acts. Our Father tonight, Lord, we love you and we sure do thank you for loving us the way you do. And tonight, as we get ourselves around the good word of God, I pray, Father, that this time would be fruitful by the spirit of God. And Father, that, Lord, you would teach us things from your blessed book. We love you, Lord, and we sure do thank you for always being there for us. Never have let any one of us down, and we praise your name for it. Now, God, touch us tonight as we study your book in Jesus Christ's name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Let's look at our study sheets together, and we'll go through this part of probably not quite exhaust seven verses. We'll, we'll have to pick up uh, next week on some of these verses that we're going to leave off on and pick up some more things there. In our introduction to the book of Acts, we considered several outstanding marks of the book. We stated that it is a book of action, a book of links, a book of transition, a book of personalities, a book of history, and finally a book of promises. All of these features are realized as the opening chapter reveals Jesus going back to his Father in heaven. Jesus had told his disciples that he would be leaving them one day, and now that time had come. In John 14, verse 28, Jesus said these words to them. He said, Ye have heard how that I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, Ye would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. In John 16, 10, he said it like this, of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. In John 14, 12, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Why? Because I go unto my Father. Jesus had been with his disciples for a little more than three years. They saw the miracles he had accomplished. They had heard the words of his teaching. Now it was time for them to learn from another member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. They had lived by sight long enough. Now they needed to experience living by faith. The transition from sight to faith is about to begin for these privileged men. Jesus had been working around them. Now he would be working in them. 
Jesus and his remaining 11 disciples will be parting ways, but they will encounter another comforter soon. In John 16, 7, Jesus said this. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you. That word expedient means it's necessary. It's absolutely without question necessary that, that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. One of my wife's favorite songs out of the old hymn book is The Comforter Has Come. And it is a great song, a song about the fact, the reality that we now in the church age are dealing primarily with the Holy Spirit. In the Gospels, it was Jesus Christ in the flesh. But now in this age, it is the Holy Spirit. Let's first consider from the book of Acts in its opening verses, the writer Luke. It says in verse number 1 of Acts 1, it says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. As the penman of this writing begins, he references a previous treatise that he had recorded. He also addresses someone by the name of Theophilus. Excuse me. Theophilus is named twice in Scripture, and the only other time is found in the opening passage of the Gospel according to Luke. In Luke 1, verses 1 through 3, we read these words. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth and order a declaration of those things, which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. His name means friend of God. Whoever Theophilus is, he is Luke's friend. He refers to him as most excellent. It is an endearing term, setting Theophilus apart as someone who is very honorable in dignity. Whoever he is, Luke, the penman of the book of Acts, holds him in the highest esteem. That is all we know of this mysterious character who was the recipient of Luke's account of the gospel and now receiving this masterpiece called the book of Acts. A treatise is defined as a written composition on a particular subject in which the principles of it are discussed or explained. The purpose of Luke writing his gospel account was to set in order the things he knew about Jesus Christ from the beginning of his earthly ministry until his resurrection. Now, Luke will pick up the narrative of all that Jesus will continue doing and teaching to and through his apostles. The work of Christ is never finished. He who had no beginning began it all. He will do some things without any aid from anyone. We know that out of Genesis 1. There was no one else around, so he just created everything without needing anyone. He said, let there be and there was. Then at times, he will employ the assistance of others in unique ways. 
To think that Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, would seek to enlist anyone into his agenda is beyond comprehension. And then to realize that he would include you in his plans is even greater mystery. David started out as the youngest son who tended his father's sheep. God included him and he became king of Israel. Moses was ordered to be thrown into the river Nile as a little child. God included him and he became the great deliverer of God's people. Simon Peter was a common fisherman working hard to earn a living for his family. God included him and he became the apostle to the Jews, king of Israel, the deliverer of God's people and an apostle, all types of Christ himself. When Jesus begins working in someone and they yield to his leading, they will become like Christ. When God revealed unto Moses his, his desire to include him in his plans, Moses said these words in Exodus 3 verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? When King David realized where the credit laid for his accomplishments, he said this in 2 Samuel 7, 18. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I? O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? When someone realizes how wonderful it is to be included in Jesus' plans, it will cause them to say, Who am I? Luke, the instrument God used to pen this book, it's only been mentioned by name twice in the New Testament. I was shocked when I discovered this. In Colossians 4, 14, it says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Then again in 2 Timothy 4, 11, only Luke is with me. Luke was a physician by trade. And if he had a practice, he gave it up to follow the will of God. He accompanied Paul in his missionary travels. It seems that Dr. Luke joins the company with Paul in Acts 16. He uses the term they, referring to Paul and his company several times in that chapter of six, Acts 16 in verse 4, 6, 7, and 8. You'll read, they did this, Luke writing, they did this, they did that. Then in Acts 16, 10, the pronoun changes to we as Luke begins including himself in the narrative. In Luke 16.10, and this is where Luke joins with Paul and his missionary efforts. It says, and after he had seen the vision, talking of Paul, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Now let's consider, secondly, out of this opening chapter of Acts, the witness and leaving. In verses 2 and 3 of Acts 1, it says like this, Until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We want to consider several points from this passage. Number one, 
where he said, through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles. Jesus had a lot to say to these men. During his ministry, he had taught them and done mighty works among them. Now, the ongoing of his teaching and doing would be accomplished beginning with these 11 men. It was so very important that these men understood these things and carried them out. So, he gave them the Holy Ghost to remind them and enable them. We read these things about the Spirit of God or the Holy Ghost working. It says in John 20 verse 22, Jesus said this to them. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, his disciples, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Then in John 14, 25 and 26, Jesus explains why they would need the Holy Spirit. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Then another thing that we want to consider from this text, the phrase, whom he had chosen. They were chosen men. Jesus had told them that they were handpicked earlier in his ministry. In John 15, 16, he was teaching on abiding in Christ and the branch and the, and the fruit and, and how he desires for fruit to be brought forth through our lives. And he said this in verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. His choosing was not based upon some great virtue or talent any of these men had. Remember, Jesus had also chosen Judas the betrayer. Jesus knew what he wanted to accomplish with each man's life. They had a will of their own and they could learn to be led by his spirit or choose to resist him. While it is true that God foreknows what a person will do, he still allows the will of man to play out in a man's life. That choice was before these 11 men and it was theirs to make. Jesus had made his choice and what they did with it was their choice. That is how the Lord works today. He makes his choice and then begins teaching us through the Holy Spirit. What we do with his teaching is between each individual and the Lord. The basis of whether a person will submit to the Spirit of God or resist his leading is the love a person develops for Jesus Christ. Listen to Jesus tell this truth. In John 14 verses 15 through 17. Jesus said these things. If ye love me. Keep my commandments. Now I want to say something about this word commandments. A lot of times we read that. We read a phrase like that. Keep my commandments. And immediately our minds go to the ten commandments. Am I right about it? We think Ten Commandments. Well, we got to keep the ten. I heard a preacher, a false preacher on TV the other day, and I pointed this out to Debbie. He said, if we are ever going to get to heaven, we've got to keep the Ten Commandments. That's not true. That's not true. 
Whenever we read the com word commandment in the Bible, it may be something that he's instructing them at that present time and wanting them to keep his commands. It does not always refer to the Ten Commandments. So he said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Look at this in verse 21 of that same text. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Then in verses 23 and 24, Jesus answered and said unto him, watch this, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come to, unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which he hears, not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So Jesus is revealing right there the whole, the whole motive or the reason that anyone submits their will to the will of God the Father. Is because of the love that they have developed for Jesus. If they say no, that also reveals the lack of love that they have for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was not about to leave these men before he had given them instructions concerning the furtherance of his ministry. Jesus gave these men commandments through the Holy Ghost and they loved him enough to ensure that those instructions were followed through. Now I want to say this right there. We better be thankful they did. That's why we're here tonight. Because these 11 men said yes to the will of God for their life. Number three, I want to highlight this thought from this opening passage. Where he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. These men knew Jesus was alive. They all had seen him after the resurrection for 40 days and at various times. Jesus appeared to different individuals and groups of people. A brief outline of his post-resurrection appearances is as follows. He showed up to Mary Magdalene first, John 20, the other Mary and Sal Salome. Wouldn't you hate to have a name like that? You know what they're going to call you. Salome. Come here, Salami. Well, anyway, Matthew 28, Simon Peter, he showed up to Simon Peter in Luke 24. He showed up to two disciples on the Emmaus Road in Luke 24. The disciples without Thomas in John 20, then the disciples with Thomas eight days later, again in John 20. Seven disciples on the Sea of Tiberias in John 21, then he appeared to the disciples in Galilee. In Matthew 28, then 500 people at one time. 1 Corinthians 15 to James, 1 Corinthians 15, and then to the disciples here in our text of Acts chapter 1. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a proven fact. History proves it, and it is still being proven today. Every time someone believes and calls upon the name of Jesus Christ, his resurrection power is evidenced in that believer's life. When someone gets saved, 
They are raised to new life by the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. With proof, or let's read Ephesians 2.1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, that means made alive, brought from the dead, hath quickened us together with Christ. For by grace ye saved. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Watch this. According to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Did you realize that inside of every one of us tonight who are saved. How many saved in here say amen. Inside every one of you is the same power that raised Jesus Christ after being dead three days and three nights. The same power. Holy Ghost power. Resurrection power. And we sit around like, ain't nothing can be done about nothing. No, we've got the power of God working in us. Bless His holy name. <laughs> With proof that was infallible, Jesus convinced these men he was without any doubt the Savior who could be believed. Many have come and gone throughout the history of man who has claimed to be some form of saving individual. Whether it be the Savior of a nation or the Savior of a movement or maybe a religious Savior, they have come and they have gone. There's only one who has come and is still alive with a conquering power to save whosoever, and his name is Jesus Christ. Another thought that we want to consider out of these two verses is speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is an everlasting spiritual kingdom that is entered when someone is born again. Every one of us, you may not realize this, but we are kings and priests in the kingdom of God tonight. As we sit here tonight, y'all are kings and priests unto God. Look at what Jesus said in John 3, 5. He said, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In Luke 17, 20 and 21, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here, lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And then in Romans fourteen seventeen, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. In other words, it's not something physical. It's not meat and drink. It's something spiritual. That God builds in us. Then in Colossians 1.13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Next from Acts 1. We want to consider the waiting lesson. In verses 4 through 7 of Acts 1. It says like this. And being assembled together with them commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, 
but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. I want to stop right there and say this. In this lesson tonight, we don't have enough time to go into baptism, but we're going to study it in our next lesson in great detail. So be sure to be back next Wednesday night. You don't want to miss that. Let's pick up with our reading. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power. These men were going to learn a valuable lesson about working in the kingdom of God. They must learn to wait. Uh, we're going to get in some good stuff right here. Patience is a great virtue that every one of us will hopefully learn throughout our walk with the Savior. As the writer of Hebrews said it, in Hebrews 10, 35 and 36, he said, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Our confidence and patience will work hand in hand throughout our Christian life. These men were confident that their Savior was alive. And with that confidence sustaining them, they were to wait on the promise. Their life of faith would soon be a reality. And being confident in the resurrected Christ would carry them through their times of waiting. That is easier said than lived out. Sometimes the promises of God come immediately. And at other times, they may not be realized at all until we get to heaven. We believe and our belief will be tested while we wait. While waiting, our enemy will try to invade our minds with thoughts of doubt and uncertainty. But confidence in the fact that our Savior lives will inspire us to press on and keep praying. In 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15, look what this says. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, in who? Jesus Christ, who is alive. If we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. At times, we pray, and the answer is realized almost immediately. Can I get a witness right there? We've all seen that happen. Then we pray about an issue, and we know it is found within the scope of the will of God, and yet, the answer is not realized at all. Has anybody in here ever experienced that? I'm right there, right now, in my Christian life. We must keep our confidence settled in Jesus Christ. After all, there's nowhere else to turn. Jesus had many turn away during his earthly ministry. And he questioned the disciples if they would also leave. And look at this in John 66, 666 through 69. This is what Jesus had said. From that time, many... Of his disciples went back. John 6, 6, 6. 
From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. In the 1912 Olympics in Stockholm, Sweden, Japan entered the Olympics for the first time. One of the Japanese athletes was a marathon runner named Shiso Kanakuri. The marathon was run on July the 11th with a temperature over 90 degrees. After running 17 miles, Kanakuri collapsed from a heat stroke. A family that lived on the race route carried him into their home and laid him on the couch until he recovered. Ashamed of what he viewed as his failure, Kanakuri returned home to Japan without ever returning to the Olympics. Officials did not know what had happened to him. Fifty years later, a Swedish reporter doing a 50-year report on the Stockholm Olympics discovered Kanakuri was still alive. Five years later, the retired geography teacher was invited back to Stockholm to finish his race. When he crossed the finish line, his time was recorded at 54 years, eight months, six days, five hours, 32 minutes, and 20.3 seconds. It was the slowest marathon recorded in history, but he finished. <laughs> the Christian life is a marathon. Say amen right there. It is not a sprint. Many are the lessons to be learned as we live by faith. We must finish to the end. And our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ will be the only thing to sustain us along the route. We will feel faint, exhausted, and at times tempted to give up. But the rewards of waiting on Christ will not fail to be greater in the end than anything we could ever imagine. The saints of old were tested on this point. We have their testimony of the reality of living for Jesus. James 5, 10 and 11, Word of God reads like this, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Well, when you get to suffering, whether it be physically, whether it be mentally, whether it be family-oriented, no matter what the suffering may come by, when you get to suffering, when you get to suffering, you'll think all kind of things during that time. You'll think, there ain't no need in praying for that anymore. There ain't no need in praying for that issue anymore. God ain't going to answer my prayer. You get, to pray, you get to think of things like this. There's no need in praying for them anymore. They're not going to ever respond to prayer. There's not but one thing that we can trust in times like that. And His name is Jesus, our living Savior. You may give up on things, you may give up on people, but never give up on the living God who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Can I get a big witness right there? 
We're all tempted to give up on things and people and issues and our government and Joe Biden and all of this rigmarole that's going on today. But there's still a God in heaven. And if we lose confidence in him, we'll quit. We'll quit. We'll lose patience because we've lost confidence. Notice what it says. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. <laughs> Do you know, Job got double for his trouble. He lost everything he had up front of his life. And at the end of the book of Job, he gets twice as much as he ever had before. Every saint of God has had to learn this valuable lesson throughout their life. Paul said it best. In Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And then I love this verse. Romans 8, 18, for I reckon, Paul writing, a man who had been abandoned by all, a man who at the end of his life said, for all men forsook me. And the only one I got standing with me is Jesus Christ. This is what he said. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And I said all that to say this. Keep praying. Keep your confidence in Jesus Christ. Don't let things or people or situations or, or bigness of issues Make you lose your confidence in the living Savior. He is alive right now. And he's there to listen to your prayers. Amen and amen. Tell you what let's do. Yes, ma'am. Come to come. To. Huh? Perfect. So I think I'll go eat me some salami tonight. Yes, ma'am.